What's going on, beautiful people? This is Jovan Miller, and you're listening to the latest installment of the Give It Context podcast. We have a lot to go over. I'm going to be before you for 30 minutes. I'll also say this. This will be a part two. It is a very important topic, especially in nowadays sports and how much money sports is generating. So, like I said, we'll get straight into it. My contact information, Twitter, and Instagram is jovination23, and email is peaceofmind2327 at gmail.com. So like I said, let's jump straight into it. Should student athletes, should student athletes be paid? College athletes be paid? Yes or no? There's no way to kind of get in the middle ground. It's a very hard yes or it is a very hard no. I'm not going to share with you my personal opinion just yet. That will be in part two. So yes, that's a cliffhanger for the next episode. But I want to lay out the foundation for both sides regarding whether you believe that college athletes should be paid and on the other side of whether you believe that they should not be paid. So I'll bring up a few key points. I'll actually explain a few things to you. And like I said, moving forward for part two of this, maybe you'll get my opinion. Maybe you'll get my perspective at the end of this. So should student athletes be paid? First question, only question, I guess, for those who believe that student athletes should be paid. Is what is enough? What is enough? Financially speaking, if we're talking about one of the bigger, you know, college basketball or football schools in particular, how much is enough? The issue is right now is that the kids in particular, they say they want to be paid. As somebody who played college lacrosse, for four years, completely understand what they're talking about. I completely understand. I Well, in my case, it was a little bit different. I did not play a revenue-making sport uh, at Syracuse University, but I do understand the amount of work that is required to be a great player and also be a, honestly, be on a great team, be, be a part of something bigger than yourself. So I 1,000% understand the student-athlete part of saying they should be paid. But the most basic question, again, is how much is enough? The other side of things. Again, I'll kind of jump back and forth with a few things that I believe that are kind of poignant uh, points to make, especially with what we're talking about in regard to this possibly very slippery slope that is whether players should be paid or not. And the very, very, you know, everybody, especially um, as, as an American, I know this firsthand, is we value education. However, we're not ranked very high when it comes to education from a world, worldly view. Um, one of our biggest exports actually happens to be music. America's biggest export at this point in time, obviously, is our sports. We have such a, a ability to reach people from all walks of life all over the place 
just because of our ability to play sports. And again, it's a universal thing, but in particular, one of our biggest exports, if you actually watch um, right now, you watch NFL football, they're starting to venture into different countries to share this beautiful game that is American football, for example. You know, you have the, I guess they're now, they've jumped up to not only having one game in London, but now they've had three per season. I believe, excuse me, it may be five. But anyway, shortly, um, over the course of time, you're going to see more and more uh, ex- exploration to Europe in particular. Now, that's not to say that that wasn't the case beforehand, but you're starting to see a lot more things pop up as a result. So let's keep that in the back of our minds is that our biggest export technically is our entertainment world. The education. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Nelson Mandela said that. The great Martin Luther King, we just celebrated you know, his day yesterday. His birthday was uh, a week ago. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. Again, Dr. King said that. Two powerful figures are encouraging education. I believe that education, one of the, I guess, underlying issues that we have when it comes to education is how we're defining it. You know, my dad used to say that you could be a, you could have a PhD but be a fool at the same time. Just because you have a lot of schooling does not necessarily mean that you are smarter than somebody overall. You, you can be smarter than somebody, excuse me, you can be smarter than somebody, that doesn't technically mean you're wiser than them. That doesn't mean you think critically. You can be very book smart, but be very, I hate to say this, but very life dumb. So... That being said, it depends on where your value of education is, which leads me to my first question for both sides. Is how much do you value education? Right now, if you look at the NBA landscape, especially NBA, you see a lot of these guys do what is called the one and done rule which means you pick a college and then you go there for one year, so your freshman year, and shortly after that, after going through, you know, your one semester of school before you already know that you're going to be committing to go to the the NBA, I was about to say NFL, you're going to the NBA, you already have in your mind that you're going on to make money. So there's no longer the use for going to school. A doctor, occupation-wise, we'll go over a few occupations, but we'll go with the higher-ups. Doctor, okay? When a doctor goes to all that school, and that is not only, that's a biology major, depending on, what your area of expertise is going to be or your area of focus is. They get a PH, excuse me, they get their bachelor's degree, okay? They get their master's degree. They have to get 
PhD, or in most cases, I'm not sure if it's PhD, but I do know they have to claim residency. And then, of course, you get your opportunity, but you never actually start at the top of the totem pole per se. You technically have to work your way up in, in order to become an official doctor. I'm looking to get my PhD right now as we speak, possibly. So I would be Dr. Miller, but I wouldn't be a doctor, doctor, you know, are you sick, doctor? I would be a doctor of all things for management. So with that distinction, if we're talking in the, in the realm of, like I said, a doctor, that occupation in particular, when you get your foot into the door and you start to do very well for yourself, you're making in the realm of about two hundred. $25,000 to possibly around $350,000. Why am I saying this? To all the educators on one side, what if I sat there and told you that right now you can make $10 million per year with a basic high school education in one year of let's be honest, blah, blah, classes. Because that's right now, that's what you're facing. America's facing that huge divide. It is the idea that if you're educated, you automatically place yourselves in a seat. You know, when you put it on your resume, it does look great on the resume. But can it shoot a basketball? Can it throw a football? It all depends on how you value the education. Another very important piece of information, and this is actually for the educative side, the on the educating side, who favor the education uh, side, again, uh, is I want to break down just a very basic, some, some numbers for you. So if you know, I went to Syracuse University, people who don't know about Syracuse, Syracuse is a very prestigious university. Yes, I'm boasting a little bit, but point of it being is that it's a private school. And everybody should know the distinction between a private and a public school, especially at the college level. Private schools in particular, private uh, college institutions, they do not technically have to share any of the mar the profit that they make with wherever they live or wherever um, the school resides. So if you're in Syracuse, um, like I said, Syracuse, New York, and you're a private university, you technically don't have to share anything financially with the city of Syracuse, which also, if you look up right now, Syracuse is one of the poorest cities in, in America, but you can't tell once you go up on the hill. But maybe we'll talk about that another day. So... You're able to, as a private school, you're able to also control the amount of money, a.k.a. tuition, that is paid by each student to attend that university. And of course, as we do know, too, when you take out loans, those loans are supposed to be, um, year, well, they're technically annual. But a lot of times, of course, knowing that you're, you know, the whole idea of going to colleges, you know, to start colleges, to finish college, which means at its most basic form, getting a bachelor's degree is four years. Now, if you don't have any academic, you know, backing or anything like that, or, you know, whether it be scholarship or um, grants or anything like that, you're going to come out of pocket. And unless, you know, you're well off or something like that, school loans is, of course, our way that uh, the government keeps us uh, locked up a little bit. But again, 
public schools are always a whole lot cheaper as a result, which is why you see so many people, um, regardless of what, or not country, in this particular case, I'm specifying America, but which is why you see so many people when they have the opportunity to go to college, they stay in state because the difference in tuition is so much greater. And it makes it more sense to stay in state financially than to go elsewhere. So the average price, okay, according to U.S. News, because now, you know, this podcast is growing and I want to make sure that my listeners, I want to make sure you guys are actually informed correctly. So, of course, I do fact check. It's very important. So the average private school, private college or uh, university uh, tuition is $34,699. Okay, so roughly, give or take, we're talking $35,000. And I'm going to give you an example in a second of how we're going to equate and add this up, and then we're going to compare uh, the sports side of things. So, public school. If you go to a public university, a la, um, uh, I actually don't even know any off the top of my head, but anyway, a public college or um, university is $21,632. That's the average amount for a college tuition. So already you see the disparity of about, we're going to say give or take $14,000 just for the difference in private school to public school. Of course, parents out there, hey, I'm not going to sit here and knock you. Listen, uh, my life has pretty been pretty crazy in that regard. My parents took out loans for me to go to private school. <laughs> so God bless my parents. Thank you so much for that. But the most important thing to understand is that private school is meant for everything upper. That's not to say, you know, not upper class per se, but listen, if you can afford it, you take your you take that chance because financially speaking, it's supposed to pay off. As the teachers are supposedly better, and the opportunity to go and further education is also enhanced as well. But more importantly, this is a big kicker, and again, this is why I was talking about in-state tuition. Is that in-state tuition at public university, college or university, and again, like I said, according to U.S. News. Is $9,528. Let that one sink in, y'all. So again, we'll just even this out and make it easy. So in-state tuition is about $10,000. If you stay in a public college university, uh, um, university setting, regardless if you live on the opposite side of the state or whatever, if it's a public, universe, public university and you, are, you get in academically, we're talking about $10,000 per year. And that sounds like a great deal. Simple math, if we're talking in-state, you do 10 times 4, you got $40,000. And you get a college education. So, we done broke that down. So, we just said, I just broke that down to you. We're talking four years, $40,000. One year of private school as I just said, the average is 35000 Let that one sink in. So we're talking about one year almost equating to four, private to public. 
Now, Jovan, why are you bringing this up? This is really interesting. It's all interesting, but what does that have to do with student-athletes being paid? It's a great question. What if I told you there is no entity on a college, university, private, or public that generates the same amount of money as college athletics? There's nothing that does. Feel free Feel free to debate me on that, but I'm going to give you a few numbers. I'm going to break down some things to you. And again, this is going to be a a two-part series because I'm telling you right now, there is so much information on this and there's more coming out. So follow me. I looked up the top five biggest college football stadiums in America. And it's a special shout out to my man Nims, my best friend from abroad in London, Took him on a college tour of Syracuse University. I took him to the Carrier Dome. And by the way, he lives in England, like I said. Absolutely loves Premier League soccer. His uh, club is Arsenal. The Emirates only holds about 55,000. Syracuse University is a mid-level size uh, stadium, or excuse me, uh, the Carrier Dome. It fits 53. So let that one sink in. Emirates is one of the biggest in, um, in England, actually one of the bigger stadiums in, in all of Europe. But that being said, yes, they fit just about 2,000 more people <laughs> than a mid-level college. Uh, college football or college basketball, um, state, in our case, basketball, because we play both in the Carrier Dome. So here are the top five biggest college football stadiums in America. And number five is Nayland Stadium. That's where the University of Tennessee plays. They hold 102,455 people. I'll say that again. 1,000, or excuse me, 100,002, 455 seats. Now, mind you, the reason why I said seats there is because that's the amount of people that can sit their butt in a chair, not to mention all the media members that are down the field and those who get exclusive tickets up in the box and so on and so forth. So you're technically talking about anywhere from that number going into 108,000 people for one football game. Yeah. Number four, Kyle Field, a.k.a. the house that Johnny built, Johnny Manziel. Texas A&M, similar, roughly the same number, but they've done additions since then. So the numbers actually might be skewed, but this is as of 2018. Kyle Field holds 102,733. The Horseshoe, Ohio Stadium, where the Buckeyes play, 104,944. Beaver Stadium, Penn State, the Nittany Lions, 106,572. And the granddaddy, the biggest one of them all, Michigan Stadium. It holds 107,000. 601 seats. Again, that number, everybody, listen to me. There's a disclaimer there. There's a difference number-wise 
when you have when you add in media and such. That was just basically how many people can sit down in a chair. <laughs> so that number technically goes up another few thousand people. Crazy numbers there. Crazy numbers. Let's just say, do some simple math with whoever's listening to this with you. Michigan Stadium, 107601. So if you have your phone or anything like that, calculate this. You have a calculator on you, calculate. 107,601. And let's just say for the sake of argument, you multiply that by 100. 100 being the average ticket to attend a football game there. And again, like I said, these numbers are off the top of the head. Do that math for me. Tell me what you come up with. I'm also forgetting, and not forgetting, but I'm leaving out a lot of more essential things. That is just basically the ticket. I didn't add in parking. I didn't add in a beer. I didn't add in popcorn, hot dogs, nachos. I added none of that stuff. That's one game. Not to mention the TV rights that you have, so you're going to get more and more people that are going to watch it. So on the average, you're getting four to five million people watching your game besides the 107 in attendance. Again, let that one sink in a little bit. So as I've mentioned on numerous podcast episodes beforehand, I went to Syracuse University. We are a basketball school. Tahoka, Nandakota, if you're listening to this, yeah, I said it. I'm proud of it too. We're a basketball school. Syracuse has a unique situation because we not only play our football games in the Carrier Dome, we also play our basketball games there. Syracuse has gone on, I'm going to say in the last 20 years, we've always finished, I think, top five, or usually number one when it comes to college attendance because we're using the same thing that fits about 53,000. We're also using it for basketball. It's a really cool thing how they did it. You can, they have one set of the stands that is retractable. You can move them across to where the court is actually set up. It's a pretty cool thing. Maybe I'll post a few pictures of showing how the carrier dome looks. When the basketball court is down. Really cool. So I did a few numbers. And again, if you're listening, I actually encourage you to do a little bit of the numbers here. Okay? So an average Cuse basketball game, okay, attendance-wise, is 26,253 people. The average. When, the, when Duke comes, when North Carolina comes, that number usually spikes over 30000 The average beer price, I'm not a drinker, never have drink, but my friends did. <laughs> and with that being said, we all know that, especially in modern day, you can't enjoy anything without a beer, right? Without a beverage. The average beer price. And I actually did this one collectively. This is, this is between college and uh, professional. At a sporting event, the average price of a beer is $7.40. <laughs> <laughs> I 
again, I ask you guys out there, I want you to multiply that 200, or excuse me, that 26,253, multiply that by that that $7.40. Now, that's not to say that everybody's going to get a beer, but again, in estimation, if we add in a few things, uh, including candy, popcorn and such, that still supplements the same amount. And the average ticket at a Carrier Dome basketball game, okay, is $55. The average. Now, I'm going to say this as somebody, especially who's a graduate, luckily I get tickets for free. You know, I know people, thank God. But as we know, the closer and closer you want to get, what happens to the price? The numbers go up. So let's just say you want to sit in the lower bowl. You want to get closer and closer to courtside. If those aren't season ticket holders, it's going to be roughly $200 to $300 possibly, depending on who's playing too. Those numbers we just broke down. That's over a million. Those are millions of dollars. Millions. Now, I want you to also think about this. In college football, the average season is 12 games. Every team is promised at least six home games. You might have a neutral site or something like that. But with that being said, you usually have at least five to six games at home. So if we are talking uh, Ohio State, so there's going to always be that 104,944. But multiply that, that same number, the beer, and look up the ticket price for a Buckeyes game. And then multiply that number you get, that huge sum you get from that, and multiply that by five. We're making a lot of money, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, but Jovan, you know, education is everything. Let's do some simple math, y'all. Let's just say for the sake of argument, education, or excuse me, where you go to school is a private school. It costs $50,000 per year to attend. Again, simple math, four years to get a bachelor's. So you multiply it. That's $200,000 for four years. Well, Giovanni, you know, they're paying for all, you know, a great education, you know, value education. Don't you know? Just, just again, go back to the Syracuse basketball thing, the Syracuse basketball example. That $26,000, do not you know? You've paid that like 500-fold <laughs> uh, as far as college tuition by the time that game is over. Again, I'm not giving my opinion. I'm just simply playing devil's advocate on both sides. One thing that always bothered me about, well, the reference, I absolutely hate when uh, I hear athlete, uh, college athlete or former athlete say, you know, we're slaves. You know, we're, we're slaving for the university. I hate that. But I don't hate it for the, I don't hate it for the slave reference. I just think they're speaking incorrectly. They're indentured servants. That's more accurate. 
an indentured servant uh, was a labor system in which people paid for their passage to the new world. And of course, we're, we're going into like the 18th century, but in its most basic form, they provided you with uh, food, a place to eat, but you were in some way paying off a fixed term in order to you know, go on to something else. In that particular case, when it comes to sports, that something else is professional sports. So the trade-off technically is you come here, you help us win basketball games, football games, whatever the case is, and you get a great education. However, that education, like I said, you go through all that schooling as a doctor or a lawyer. You have to get, you know, a lawyer, you have to take the LSATs. You have to get uh, in what what in your law school. Once, you're, once you get your LSATs um, completed, then you have to, what? I mean, you have to do X amount of hours. You have to um, get in a part of a firm. There's a whole bunch of things you have to do in order to even uh, start to practice as a lawyer. So let's let this sink in. By the you graduate with your bachelor's at 21 or 22 years old, and by the time you actually are able to practice law, you are 30. I'm 29 right now. Only to make not even a tenth of what the average basketball player or football player makes. The reason why I'm using basketball and football so much is because those are the two most notable. Let that one sink in. Like I said, this is going to be a two-part series. These are just a few things I want to float out there before part two. Education is very valuable. It is. I learned that, I'm not going to say the hard way. I learned that kind of the backwards way. I play lacrosse. Lacrosse is not a non-revenue-making sport. And that actually leads me to my next point. There's no specification as to which student athletes. They never said football players should just be paid or basketball players should just be paid. Isn't that technically unfair to all the other sports on that campus? The volleyball player, um, he or she works just as hard as I do. They just may not get anybody to come to their games, excuse me, come to their matches. Women's basketball, unless you're UConn, you know, or Tennessee, or some of the big, you know, the bigger teams, Notre Dame, you're not getting a lot of attendance for your games. So do you deserve not to be paid as much? When I was at Syracuse, uh, and again, I'm not saying this to disparage anybody that goes to Cuse, but let's be honest, we had a bunch of guys who were absolute brainiacs. I broke this down actually on my first podcast episode was breaking down how your team works and how how there are tiers you have your you know your playmakers and then you also have the guys who are GPA guys well in this particular case most of my teammates look they, they put you in programs that they know they're gonna, you're going to pass so you can stay eligible so you can win them games they'll say oh no Javon that's about the educate no 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 that is my basic form <laughs> this is about winning games and we have to do everything in our power to make sure you're eligible to go out there and win us games. So they put you in really easy classes so that you can stay eligible. And again, like I said, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I was very lazy my first stint in college. Luckily, I walked away with a degree, but 
based on my GPA, you know, I walked out of there, I wouldn't have been able to do much, which is why luckily I had the opportunity to go back. Not everybody gets that sort of uh, awakening. It's very, very understandable how many people actually fail to understand the value of the education. Not everybody on that team of 85 scholarship players of football is going to the pros. <laughs> what if I told you maybe one of them will? Two of them will be in training camp, but one will only make the team. Right now, we are doing a very poor job as, as, you know, as people on both sides. Those who say you know, the value of education is the utmost, but those on the other side that say, you know, professional sports it provides you an opportunity to make money. It's such a quick clip. Both sides are doing such a poor job of truly trying to meet in the middle. In closing, for this part of the episode, I'll say this. I want you guys to do a little research for me, okay? I want you to look up a few things in particular. I want you to look up a few names. I want you to look up the Fab Five, which is Jalen Rose, Jimmy King, uh, Randy Jackson, Chris Weber, and Juwan Howard. That's the Fab Five. Look those up, University of Michigan. Look up the name Terrell Pryor and Devere Posey. Those two go together. I want you to look up the name Todd Gurley, and you should know who Todd Gurley is. He's the best running back in football, personal opinion, but he's also going to the Super Bowl. He'll be the starting running back for the Los Angeles Rams. And the last name I want you to look up is Ed O'Bannon. More to come on that. That being said, that is part one. I want to give a special thank you to anybody who listened. If you have any questions or anything like that, please reach out to me. I feel like I'm not, I'm not getting the love I really want. I need more people to reach out to me. Let me know what you guys think. I'll keep posting some stuff on IG in particular, Twitter as well, regarding some of the material. But that being said, we're going to send you out with a very, very classic song. Thank you.